0: Welcome to Animals Today, your home for series talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. According to the AKC, that's the American Kennel Club, America has a new favorite dog breed. Have you heard what your favorite dog breed is, according to the AKC? The French Bulldog. Yep, that's right. The Labrador Retriever was in the top spot for 31 years, but in 2022, that has changed. It's now the French Bulldog. So I thought I would take this opportunity to talk a little bit about this organization that is telling us what our favorite dog should be. What is the AKC? What does it do? And what's its purpose? The AKC is simply a registry of purebred dogs in the United States. They register purebred dogs and purebred litters from private breeders and puppy mills. The AKC is all about encouraging the creation of purebred dogs. That's their purpose. There's a registration fee to register a purebred dog with them, so the incentive for them is there. The AKC's mission statement reads in part, and this is right off their website, the American Kennel Club is a not-for-profit organization dedicated to upholding the integrity of its registry, promoting the sport of purebred dogs, and breeding for type and function. Founded in 1884, the AKC and its affiliated organizations advocate for the purebred dog as a family companion, etc., etc. Their stated core values I'm still on their website. Number one, we love purebred dogs. Well, not sure about that. I contend if they love purebred dogs, they would not be promoting dogs prone to health issues. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Next one, we are committed to advancing the sport of the purebred dog. We are dedicated to maintaining the integrity of our registry. We protect the health and well-being of all dogs. Well, no, they don't. And quite the contrary, rather than protecting the health and well-being of all dogs, they promote the breeding and creation of dogs who are unhealthy and or are prone to serious health problems. And again, more on this in a minute. We cherish dogs as companions. Oh, isn't that nice? We are committed to the interests of dog owners. We uphold high standards for the administration and operation of the AKC. And we recognize the critical importance of our clubs and volunteers. Oh yes, the critical importance of their clubs. Can't forget that. Have you guys ever watched an AKC dog show? So at an AKC dog show, dogs are judged by a set of criteria called a standard that is unique to each recognized breed. These are features a particular breed of dog should have. And to be more precise, features the AKC thinks a particular breed of dog should have. So the AKC encourages selectively breeding dogs in an effort to create purebred dogs with what the AKC believes is the most desirable physical and behavioral traits for a given breed of dog. And that have nothing to do with the health of the dog. And this last point I want to emphasize, you see, when you're selectively breeding dogs in an effort and with the goal to create a dog with very specific characteristics, you are likely creating a dog who will be prone to poor health. Why and how does this happen? Selective breeding is a process in which these breeders breed or mate specific parents to create offspring with desirable characteristics. And to achieve this, breeders are breeding closely related dogs. This is called inbreeding. Inbreeding is the mating of dogs who are closely related to each other genetically And just as with people, the mating of closely related individuals, like the mating of cousins with each other or cousins with siblings or children with parents, can result in offspring with dangerous genetic defects. Same idea with the dogs. The odds that a human newborn child who is the product of a brother-sister or father-daughter incest has about 50% chance of getting a severe birth defect or some mental deficiency. Same kind of genetic thing happens in the dog breeding world. You make two dogs who are genetically closely related to each other, okay, that dog, that offspring is likely going to have some major health problems or develop health issues later in life. And this breeding process, inbreeding, that's the kind of thing many of these breeders are doing. James Serpell, Professor of Ethics and Animal Welfare and Director of the Center for the Interaction of Animals and Society at the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine, explains that a breeder's primary concern was to produce dogs that looked like the breed standard. Quote, even if they, meaning breeders, did recognize health problems, breeders were too driven to produce what was perceived to be the most perfect breed. End quote. So we have these breeders and the puppy mills churning out these purebred dogs with major health issues. But we can't just blame the breeders and puppy mills. You have the AKC that is encouraging overbreeding and these breeding practices. And the AKC know exactly what's happening here, that these breeding practices used by breeders and puppy mills, which often work to decrease a breed's genetic diversity, okay, which has a profound impact on a dog's health. So tell me, how is this protecting the health and well-being of dogs, as stated on the AKC's website? And back to breeders for a minute, because that's one of my favorite topics to rant about. So you, you purchase your new puppy from a breeder, and you're so proud that your new puppy comes with AKC papers and that you have an AKC registered puppy. So what? Should we be impressed? Like, is your new AKC registered dog just the best kind of dog you can get? And if so, why? Why should you be so proud you have an AKC registered dog? I don't know. But I can tell you that the AKC wants you to believe that having AKC papers means better quality of dog. It's sort of strange to use the term quality when describing an individual, even if the individual is a dog, right? But the AKC does want you to believe that having a dog with AKC papers means you have a dog that is of higher quality, like as a measure of excellence, referring to a state of being defect-free, like you and I might describe an object. So what exactly does having these AKC papers mean? Well, those papers people brag about is simply a registration certificate that identifies the dog as the offspring of a known mother and father and born on a certain date. And I can tell you that AKC papers are not a guarantee of good health or being defect-free. And having an AKC registered dog does not mean that the dog is free of genetic defects. And furthermore, getting AKC papers from a breeder does not mean that the breeder is reputable or responsible or ethical. You've heard these terms, reputable breeder or, responsible breeder, right? What does that even mean? What's a responsible breeder? The Humane Society of the United States defines responsible breeder. They tell you how to find a responsible breeder. This is on their website. The Humane Society of the United States encourages you to consider adoption from a shelter or rescue group, but if you choose to purchase a dog from a breeder, the following guidelines will help you make sure your dog comes from a responsible breeder instead of a puppy mill. And this is like a a checklist on how to identify a responsible dog breeder. And this is actually really good advice. And it's really good to follow these HSUS listed guidelines if you're someone who is determined to buy a dog from a breeder instead of adopting from a shelter or a rescue group. But in regards to this term, responsible breeder, which HSUS acknowledges exist, if you want to consider the millions of dogs sitting in our country's overcrowded shelters right now waiting to be adopted, and according to the ASPCA, we are still euthanizing about 1.5 million animals each year in the United States, then creating more dogs is simply irresponsible. So is there such thing as a responsible breeder whose job it is, who profits from creating more dogs? I don't think so. So in this regard... I would argue that all breeders are irresponsible. Okay, so now back to the topic of purebred dogs in the AKC. We know for a fact, and we've known for a while, that purebred dogs have an increased incidence of inherited diseases, and also they tend to have more severe health issues than mixed breed dogs. There are more than 500 genetic defects that exist in today's purebred dogs. Heart problems, hip dysplasia, airway diseases, and more. And this is because of the purposeful, selective breeding of dogs. A study done by the University of California Davis Veterinary Medical Teaching Hospital delineated 10 inherited disorders that were more prevalent in purebred dogs as compared to their mixed counterparts. These conditions are Aortic stenosis, that's when the aortic valve narrows and blood cannot flow normally. That's a big problem. Skin and allergy conditions, stomach dilation or bloat, vision problems, including cataracts, dilated cardiomyopathy, which is an enlargement of the chambers of the heart, another very serious condition. Elbow dysplasia, epilepsy, hypothyroidism, problems with the disc between the vertebrae of the dog's spine leading to neurological problems and abnormal blood circulation whereby blood does not reach the liver. The inbreeding of dogs from a relatively small gene pool is the cause of the wide array of genetic diseases found in purebred dogs. So you have the AKC, who sets the breed standards, so as encouraging this breeding practice, and you have the breeders. Both are responsible for creating this major welfare issue of our purebred dogs today. So the AKC works to promote the breeding and selling of unhealthy dogs. And at this particular time, it's the French Bulldog, since the AKC claims that the French Bulldog is now America's favorite dog. Okay, we've got to take a break. More on this when we return. This is Dr. Lori with your Animals Today Minute featuring one of my favorites, the cheetah. And unfortunately they are Africa's most endangered big cat with only about 10,000 remaining in the wild. These speedy carnivores can reach 70 miles per hour as they hunt their preferred prey, small antelopes. Cheetahs use their long muscular tail like a rudder and stabilizer permitting quick turns at high speeds. Cheetahs have about 2,000 small round spots, each animal with its unique pattern, which allows observers and scientists to identify them. Their characteristic dark tear streaks are thought to aid their vision by reducing glare. Hi, it's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio, and today's Animals Today Fun Facts are about octopuses. Did you know the oldest octopus fossil was from an animal that lived 296 million years ago? And you can see that fossil at the Field Museum in Chicago. Octopuses have three hearts, one of which supplies blood to the organs, and the other two work to supply the gills. And their blood is a blue color, which transports oxygen better at cold temperatures and in low oxygen waters. And there are your Animals Today fun facts for today. back to the show, according to the American Kennel Club, the AKC, America's favorite dog is the French Bulldog. Did you know that French Bulldogs are likely to suffer from debilitating and sometimes fatal health problems? As is the case for most brachiocephalic dogs, meaning dogs with short snouts or flat-faced dog breeds, many French Bulldogs often struggle to get enough air to live comfortably. So playing and running and doing normal dog activities can be quite challenging for these kinds of dogs. In addition, due to brachiocephalic dogs' inability to pant efficiently, panting is a way dogs can regulate their body temperature, these dogs are prone to heat stroke. A 2021 study from the journal Canine Medicine and Genetics found that French bulldogs have a 30 times greater chance of obstructive airway syndrome. 42 times greater chance of narrowed nostrils and a nine times greater chance of having difficulty giving birth. Difficulty giving birth? Wait a minute, really? We're creating dogs with such abnormal physical anatomy and such abnormalities in their pelvic region that bulldogs are unable to give birth naturally? How is that possible? Overbreeding, what we've been talking about overbreeding a dog breed to the unhealthy extent that the dog cannot even procreate on its own, where the females need to be artificially inseminated and a C-section performed to safely deliver the puppies since the heads are too big to fit through the birth canal. Why would the AKC be promoting this breed of dog that comes with such major serious health issues? Because that's what they do. And by the way, isn't it interesting But actually, it shouldn't be surprising to note that the French Bulldog is one of the most expensive dogs you can buy from a breeder, like up to several thousands of dollars for this kind of dog. And that's probably because most breeders will often spend $1,000 or so putting this poor dog through a significant and risky surgery, a C-section. And in addition, as we talked about, these dogs experience a lot of health problems that are prone to infections. Many have a hard time breathing in normal conditions and are at high risk of heat stroke, These dogs are also considered to be high-maintenance dogs and require a lot of attention. They are known to be challenging to train and potty train. And what else makes these dogs so expensive? The high demand for French Bulldogs, much thanks to the AKC. Dr. Lorna Grand of the Humane Society Veterinary Medical Association, a professional group affiliated with the Humane Society of the United States, states, A lot of the breed characteristics that are bred into these dogs, they're for looks, not necessarily health and welfare. And Frenchies are probably one of the most exaggerated examples of that. It's a welfare issue. These dogs are suffering, she says. Short-nosed breeds, such as pugs, bulldogs, and French bulldogs, can have misshaped vertebrae which in some cases leads to paralysis. These problems accompany the process of breeding dogs to a standard. Breeders don't care about the health consequences of the dogs they are creating. They don't love dogs the way you and I love dogs. And anyone considering getting a pug should know the health risks their dog could likely face in the future. Pugs are at risk for hip dysplasia as well as von Willebrand disease, a genetic bleeding disorder caused by low levels of clotting protein in the blood. Pug dog encephalitis is a fatal inflammatory brain disease that is unique to pugs. Pugs also have a higher incidence of epilepsy and seizure disorders. Other health issues that can plague pugs are nerve degeneration and eye problems due to their large and prominent eyes. Many argue that breeding any brachiocephalic dog is cruel and inhumane. The Netherlands has prohibited breeding of very short-snouted dogs, Norway sees the cruelty, they banned the breeding of bulldogs. The British Veterinarian Association has urged people not to buy flat-faced breeds such as the French Bulldog. According to The Week, March 2023, Gudrun Ravitz, former president of the British Veterinary Association, writes that, Despite increasing warnings from vets and animal welfare charities about the many health and welfare issues of flat-faced breeds, they continue to rise in popularity and visibility, fueled by their prominence in the media and at high-profile events. There you go, AKC. Ravitz adds that, quote, We need to put a stop to these dogs' wrinkly faces, big eyes, and curly tails, which can cause so many life-limiting health problems being seen as appealing characteristics and says that the British Veterinary Association does not suggest buying brachycephalic breeds. Did you know that some airlines have banned pets with flat faces from flying for the dog's safety and protection as they can easily develop breathing problems and overheating in the aircraft? According to the AVMA, in July 2010, the U.S. Department of Transportation released statistics that showed short-nosed breeds of dogs such as pugs, Boston Terriers, Boxers, some Mastiffs, Pekingese, Lassoopsos, Shih Tzus, and Bulldogs are more likely to die on airplanes than dogs with normal length muzzles. And by the way, you're pretty much gambling with your pet's life, no matter what kind of dog or cat you have, if you ever decide to put your pet in the cargo hold of a plane. You can never predict the air quality and temperature in the cargo hold. Pets have froze to death, overheated to death in cargo holds. Pets have been lost. If you love your pet, never, never put him or her or any living being in the cargo hold of a plane. And as discussed earlier, it's not just these brachiocephalic dogs that breeders are creating and the AKC is promoting that suffer these horrible health problems. Even the beloved golden retriever has a genetic predisposition to a number of conditions and diseases, including developing various types of cancers of the bone and blood vessel tumors that are also prone to various heart conditions. So I think you understand where I'm coming from. Once again, How can an organization that claims to protect the health and well-being of all dogs advocate and promote the creation of innumerable new, beautiful, living dogs who have a higher prevalence of genetic defects than your average mixed breed or who could not even be born without a surgical procedure because their anatomy is so abnormal and unnatural? I think you guys know the answer. I want to also point out, that one of the ways the AKC keeps their business model primed, and that is the ongoing recognition of new breeds and breed standards. Did you know that just in the time period from 2015 to 2021, 10 new dog breeds were named by the AKC? Now, where do you think these dogs came from? They were not newly discovered like an exotic bird in the jungle. No, they were created over generations of deliberate breeding to making something new for the amusement of people and for the profit of the breeders and the AKC. There's no end to this. They can continue doing this indefinitely. So in my view, the American Kennel Club should not be respected and its endorsement should not be valued. I think their work is massively harmful to dogs around the world and I hope you will join me in taking any opportunity to criticize them like I know some of you do already. For instance, if you have a friend or a relative who is thinking about buying an AKC pedigree dog, take a couple minutes and give them a little education as you're driving them to the animal shelter. Unfortunately, the damage being caused by the AKC, and I will include all licensed breeders in this, is gonna continue until enough people simply turn away from them and refuse to support them in any way. We'll be right back.
1: For more than 60 years, the International Society for Animal Rights has been consistently fighting the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and advancing animal rights and law. ISAR is committed to saving animals' lives through ISAR's annual Worldwide International Homeless Animals Day. To learn more about ISAR's programs, please visit their website at www.isaronline.org.
2: Back on Animals Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Lori Marino, and we are going to discuss the Whale Sanctuary Project, which is undertaking a huge task and making great progress toward providing true sanctuary to freed captive whales. Hello, Lori.
3: Hello, Peter. Good to see you.
2: It's been too long and uh, great to reconnect and to learn yes. all about the Whale Sanctuary Project.
3: Yes, absolutely.
2: And you serve as president.
3: Yes, yes.
2: Okay, great. Um, why don't you just start from the basics? Just tell us what what it is and why you started it, and we can dive into it, okay?
3: Sure, sure. Well, the Whale Sanctuary Pro- Project is a nonprofit organization. I founded in 2016, uh, began in 2017, um, and our mission is to create a sanctuary in the ocean for uh, beluga whales and, and orcas who are currently living in marine parks.
2: I mean, this is like mind-blowing to, to think that we're still still dealing with this. How many whales are uh, in captivity around the world right now?
3: Yeah, it's really hard to to believe that here we are in almost 2024 and we still hold these animals in concrete tanks for our entertainment. But we do, and there are between 3,000 and 3,500 dolphins, whales, and porpoises of various species around the world being held in captivity for entertainment. Yeah, And the, the sanctuary uh, is really part of a growing global community, a movement um, that recognizes that there is a, a, you know, that these animals need to live a better life than what they're living in the concrete tanks. They can't be put back in the ocean. Um, And so we can do for them something that is being done for other animals like elephants and bears, and that is give them authentic sanctuaries to live out their lives in.
2: Now, is the same true uh, regarding dolphins that they cannot be released into the ocean?
3: Yes, yes. Most of the dolphins and whales who are currently living in entertainment parks were born there, and because of that, they just don't have the skills to survive in the wild. They don't have a social group or a family, um, so it doesn't even make sense to talk about putting them back in the wild. Uh, and so, the next best thing we can do is is give them uh, an ocean environment that's much more natural, but still uh, care for them, feed them, and and give them veterinary care.
2: My understanding is that in the United States and Canada, uh, a lot of these marine parks are no longer. And that really the problem is in countries like China and and elsewhere. Can you give us a a, a sort of landscape of that?
3: Yeah. So uh, depending upon the part of the world you're talking about, the whole captive dolphin and whale situation is different. So in this country, uh, for instance, uh, we still have a number of marine parks who are breeding whales and dolphins. Uh, SeaWorld is no longer breeding orcas who they keep in, in their tanks here. In Canada, we have a bill, Bill S203, which uh, outlaws the breeding of dolphins and whales in captivity. And there's only one facility left in, marine, in Canada who is actually keeping dolphins and whales and that's marine land. But, you know, so, and in Europe, there are various things happening. So in many countries, you know, keeping captive whale entertainment is perhaps going down, diminishing in other parts of the world, like Asia, China, Japan, it is ramping up. And so that, that is the problem that it's different depending upon where you go in the world.
2: Okay. So let's talk, uh, specifically about what you are building and then maybe we can branch out from there. What What is the sanctuary?
3: The sanctuary we are creating in Nova Scotia is a netted off area of 100 acres. That's orders of magnitude larger than the largest concrete tank in the world. And it's continuous with the ocean. So there are fish and other animals that swim through And so it really is an ocean environment, but we will also have veterinary facilities. We will feed the the whales and and it really represents um, sort of the best of both environments, Uh, the human care that they need because they don't have the skills to live in the wild, but in an environment that speaks to them, that is actually the kind of environment they evolved in.
2: Yeah. Even though the perimeter of the barrier is not really elevated above the surface of the sea, the whales don't really want to jump over.
3: No, no. Uh, Especially uh, beluga whales. But even marcas, they tend not to like to jump over barriers. Um, That's something that when you see them doing that, in, a, in an entertainment park, they have to really be coerced, yeah. really trained to do that. They just don't like doing it. So, where exactly is this site? So, our site is about two and a half hours northeast of Halifax, in Nova Scotia. It's a it's called Port Hillford, and it's a little near a little town called Sherbrooke. And it is really a beautiful site, um, but. What's interesting about it is it's remote enough so that it's not in the middle of a lot of human activity. But there's also a town near there so that people who work there can also live there. So it's really a sweet spot.
2: And please explain the process to identify this site.
3: (laughs) Well, we spent over two years uh, going up and down the 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 coasts of British Columbia, Washington State, Nova Scotia, some of Maine, and basically uh, started with Google, and then went to each site and. Combed all of the coast looking for a bay or a, you know a, an inlet of some kind that looked like it might work, and we did that along with having community meetings so that we would go from town to town and ask people, you know, here we're looking to do this. Do you have an idea or is this something that you would like in your area? Um, and so it was a combination of just going on foot looking at things but also meeting with local communities and and eventually finding the right spot.
2: And then all the hurdles and steps and regulatory barriers and meetings to uh, make sure that it's going to be safe and uh, not toxic and all those things that you need to.
3: Yes, absolutely. The, The number of assessments we've had to do is just incredible I mean years of environmental assessments assessments of what species live in that area making sure that there are no highly endangered animals or that we're not going to be doing anything to cause environmental damage um all kinds of things like that and um, because this is the first of its kind you know the regulatory agencies, kind of didn't know what to do with us in the beginning. So, you know, they just sort of said, well, you know, kind of do everything. And, and um, at the end, we'll evaluate everything. So we just completed two and a half years of environmental assessments. And we've done biodiversity assessments and you name it. So we're we're almost at the point now where we can, we can move to the next phase.
2: Got it. Well, that's very exciting. And I know the yeah. uh, support the groundswell of support is re- is really accelerating. So that's re- really exciting. And so worldwide, do you have an estimate on how many possible inlets and sites there, there could be? I mean, how many, do, mm-hmm. how many do we need? How many are there?
3: Well, you know, it was harder to find something than we originally thought when we started out. Uh, but, you know, it, it really depends. And There is another site in Iceland that is being used for two blue whales. Uh, And then there's uh, the Baltimore Aquarium, the National Aquarium, rather. They're looking for a site for seven bottlenose dolphins in the Caribbean. But the whole idea of this is to be a model so that we can help others uh, build, create the, the sanctuary for cetaceans elsewhere. Um and we're sure that, you know, we there are other sites that are viable. Um, it just takes some work, but I think you know what we want to do is sort of facilitate that whole process of cetacean sanctuaries becoming something that's really proliferates so that it becomes a different way for us for captive dolphins and whales to live and eventually. Uh, becomes an exit ramp for cetacean captivity altogether in the future.
2: Oh yes, I really want to explore that idea because that's the the big idea uh, involved in, in in this. And uh, yes. after the break, I'd like to to pick that up. Okay, with uh, Dr. Lori Marino, she is the president of the Whale Sanctuary Project. Right, the Whale Sanctuary yes. Project. What's the website?
3: The website is whalesanctuary.org.
2: Okay. You're listening to Animals Today. We'll be right back.
1: holidays are here and we want to remind you of a few things that you can do to keep your dogs and cats safe and happy this season first make sure the Christmas tree is secure and cannot fall over and that tree ornaments which can be eaten are out of reach and make sure the tree's water which can get overgrown with bacteria is covered so no one will drink it holiday plants like holly mistletoe and poinsettias are toxic to pets and be especially careful with lilies which can cause kidney failure in cats if ingested Electrical wires should be covered or out of reach, and use extra care with candles or avoid using them at all. Cats love to play with and eat tinsel, which can lead to intestinal problems and even surgery, so we suggest avoiding tinsel altogether. Don't let your pets eat chocolate, alcohol, table scraps, or anything sweetened with xylitol. And of course, don't give them or let them eat any bones, which can splinter and lodge in the throat or block the intestines. And remember, the holidays can be very stressful for your companion animals, so make sure your dogs and cats have a nice quiet place they can retreat to, away from your guests, so they can rest and sleep in peace. So happy holidays from everyone at Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's www.aianimals.org.
2: Welcome back, we're speaking with Dr. Lori Marino, president of the Whale Sanctuary Project. And Laurie, let's uh, pick it up by talking about, if you would, uh, beyond what the whales that achieve uh, sanctuary, that get out of their tanks and go into a seaside sanctuary or or an ocean sanctuary, what's the larger importance of of that effort? and, And what else is the project trying to achieve?
3: Well, thanks for asking that. So there are two levels to this kind of project. One is the on the ground level of showing proof of concept, showing that there is another way for captive dolphins and whales to live. And by doing that, we provide an alternative to the concrete tanks that they currently live in. And so we hope to give a better life to uh, maybe a dozen whales in our 100-acre space. And that will be great for them. But the bigger picture is also showing that something can be done that can really change the landscape and really provide um, a way for people to understand why it's so important for dolphins and whales to live in the ocean where they evolved and to to, and what they go through when they're forced to live in concrete tanks as their lives in marine parks are not good um, and they need to live in the wild. And so this is a way to show people why and explain how, you know, we're not going to be breeding them, we're not going to be making more captive individuals, and why it's so important to have a future where we're not keeping wild animals on display against their will. Mm
2: -hmm. And how uh, does this connect, if it does, to the protection of whales in the wild. I mean, we all are concerned about them.
3: Yeah, it does. Um, It allows us to really tell the true story of who these animals are and why, what they need to thrive, not just live, but thrive. And what they need to thrive is in the ocean and so it's really important for us to save the oceans to protect the oceans because in the end that's really the only place that they can actually have a life that is a life that is worthwhile and meaningful to them so you know marine parks will tell you well you know they're holding these animals in tanks and they feed them and it's a big bad world out there and these are the lucky ones but In fact, you know, the dolphins and whales who are living in the concrete tanks are being deprived of a natural, meaningful life, um, a life that they should have the right to live. And we are trying to get that message across that the only place for wild animals is in the wild.
2: Now, a few years ago, I'm wondering if you could just take a moment and uh, remind or tell uh, listeners about that Russian whale jail, there uh, yeah. and uh, your CEO Charles Vinick, uh, yes. uh, instrumental in dealing with the, the the Russian bureaucracy there. Can you give us a little summary of that? Because that really was another sort of important thing that the whale sanctuary project was able to, yes. and and really even elevated you even further. So it was just a great thing.
3: Yeah, we have a whale aid projects. And those are projects that aren't specifically about building our sanctuary, but they are about helping whales elsewhere in the world. And one of our most successful ones was headed by Charles Binnick, our, our executive director and many others. Um, and he went to Russia and brokered uh, an agreement that allowed several whales to be released from captivity back into the ocean. There were a number of uh, beluga whales and some orcas who had just been captured, like after they were only in captivity, maybe a few months. And so they, they did have the opportunity to be released and most, all of them were released. And, um, it, this was something that had never happened before, you know, taking animals who were in pens, very small, crowded pens, and putting them back where they were taken from. Yeah. And so, in a very real sense, it's the world's largest whale rescue.
2: It's just such a wonderful uh, story, and uh, and people can learn more in addition to lots of things on, on the website. Albert. Yeah, um, Will uh, people be able to visit these whale sanctuaries?
3: The sanctuary itself um, will be off limits to the public, but the public will be able to have access to what's going on from a distance, maybe scopes, but even more so through streaming video that comes in from from the site. So we can actually provide a real-time stream of what's going on at the site anywhere, to classrooms, to museums, to just people online. And we'll also have an educational center, an interpretation center, and that's where people will go, you know, to learn more about why we're doing this and who whales are and what they need to really thrive in life.
2: Yeah. Well, that's going to be so exciting. I would imagine that you are in dialogue, maybe you can't reveal, with representatives from various countries around the world about what you're up to.
3: Yes, well, part the other part of this is the whales themselves. This is the most important part. And so we've talked with many facilities around the world, and there are some facilities, uh, for instance, um, some in South Korea who have been very receptive to the idea of bringing some of their beluga whales to our sanctuary when it's done. Uh, We're currently very interested in the three orcas who are living in Marineland, Antibes. Um, And there are also some belugas in Taiwan. And then there's also um, Marineland Canada in Ontario, which is literally (laughs) almost right next door. They have about 30 beluga whales, and we have had an on and off discussion with them going, for several years now, and we still hope that we can sit down with them and talk about the possibility of at least some of their beluga whales coming to Sanctuary and having a better life. So we remain open to talk with everyone.
2: Okay, Dr. Lori Marino, remind us um, how folks can learn more and how they can support uh, the project.
3: Yeah, thank you. So if you go to www.whalesanctuary.org, you will find a site there with all kinds of goodies on it, updates and blogs and scientific articles and pictures and everything. You can um, contact me at info at whalesanctuary.org and I answer all questions. If you have the capacity to donate, we very much appreciate that. And just tell other people about us and send them to our site. And uh, that is the best way you can help.
2: Dr. Lori
0: Marino, thank you very much.
3: You're welcome. You're very welcome.
0: And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.